Welcome to the new Cyber Frontier, bringing you the latest news and initiatives that focus on the development of cybersecurity economics. You don't have to be a computer or cybersecurity expert to get plugged in. Your host brings it straightforward, asks the tough questions, and brings the cyber world to a level of understanding for everyone. You can find us on the web at www.newcyberfrontier.com. Now join our host as he introduces the topic for today's New Cyber Frontier. Welcome to today's episode of New Cyber Frontier. On today, we have Scott Trober, who is the president and CEO of BB Systems and a cyber expert with three books published to his name. I think I see those right there behind you. Scott, welcome. Thanks for joining. Yeah, great to be here with you, Christopher. So tell us about uh, a little bit of your background and, and the books and, and um, what your, your story is. Yeah, absolutely. I have kind of a, a little bit different perspective on things than some others because I'm in a family-run business. We're 50 years old this year. We're celebrating 50 years. Um, I've been president CEO now for geez, over a little more than 20 years. My father's long since retired, still CTO, comes in every once in a while. Um, and as, as a company, we've always had people come to us with problems and we provide unique design solutions. So we look at ourselves as kind of a primarily design company, but also produce products. And a number of years ago, we shifted more and more towards security and specifically cybersecurity. We had expertise always in wireless. So I always say we're kind of at the intersection of where wireless and cybersecurity cross. And that's where our, our specialty comes in. And I've kind of coined the term um, so some of the tools and things we do, the, the wireless intrusion detection systems. So these are, these are comprehensive systems that can look at all the wireless threats and alert somebody so they could take action, whether somebody's trying to maybe hack into a network via cell phone, a rogue Wi-Fi access point, Bluetooth, whatever the threat is, that's where we typically come in. In the process of all this, I, I, I've learned a lot in the world of wireless and share a lot of things and talk to people, and, and of course, in cybersecurity. And at, at one point, a number of years ago, I kind of got a target on my back. And the bad guys started going after me. And I, and I kind of found out that this is not too uncommon. The more you share tips and educate people how to stay safe, the bad guys don't like that. So one by one, I started having things targeted both personally in my life as well as the company. And it started with credit card was compromised and, and the debit card was compromised. Coincidentally, both personally and the company all at once, having four cards compromised within 24 hours is kind of scary. Uh, then had my Twitter account taken over and crazy things were being posted on it. Uh, we started to receive uh, repeated DDoS attacks, distributed denial of service attacks where your, your website is flooded with junk. So you can't run your business. So we couldn't have people come to our website, our online store. We couldn't sell our products. It was a disaster. So one thing after the next kept happening, we're finally, we had $65,000 stolen out of our checking account. It was a big mess. It became a federal investigation letters, phone calls, emails, took a long time. Eventually I got all the funds back, got everything reinstated. Um, but it was embarrassing because here we are a security company and here we are targeted and compromised and here I'm educating people what to do and what not to do. And here we are victims of it. Uh, fortunately, unfortunately, somebody at Associated Press somehow heard our story, called me and said, hey, we're doing a special feature on hacking companies that are targeted. And we heard that your company got hacked and I was blown away. I said, how in the world did you hear about it? They didn't reveal how, I'm not sure how they heard about it, but I guess it doesn't matter. But they said, would you be willing to 
go on the record and share your story. And I said, sure, I'll do that as long as I could share what I learned in the process so other people don't go down that same path. And that kind of really got me started in the world of cybersecurity a number of years ago to the point where as I shared my story to many people, they said, geez, Scott, you, you really should write a book on this. And I kind of laughed and just blew it off. And, I, and then another person said it, another person said it, and a couple of people started really pressuring me. And I said, I'm not a writer. I don't know how to write. You can't just write a book. You have to be a writer and you have to be you know, gifted to do that, so on and so forth. And then a couple of people encouraged me and I talked to a lot of different authors when I was considering it. And they said, really, what you have to do is you have to be willing to tell a story and you can get help with the, the editing and the layout and other things like that. So I, I started that journey. It took me two years to write my first book, Hacked Again. It was really the story of what led up to it, what happened, what I learned after it. And it, it kind of helped put me on the map. Next thing I know, I'm being called to, to weigh in on breaches and do research on it and speak at, at different events. And next thing you know, it led to book number two, Cybersecurity is Everybody's Business. Same thing happened and it kind of put me on another plateau. And then at, at another point or juncture, I realized how frustrated I was with the number of elderly people and helping my aged parents and my grandfather with cybersecurity and passwords. And I said, geez, this is annoying. I got to find a book or a video to help them. So I'm not spending my weekends explaining how passwords work and how to do this and do that. There was nothing out there that I liked. Everything spoke down to a senior. So I said, you know what? I'm going to write a book, call it Senior Cyber, then something that's large print, simple read to help seniors, empower them with technology and use the internet, so on and so forth. That was book number three and it worked really well and um, got to connect with another audience yet. And, and, it, and it was beautiful for, for great shows like this and podcasts for seniors and other things I've been on and going to senior centers and speaking. So now book number four, I'm focusing more on the privacy side and some things like that with all the implications of all these big tech companies and mass surveillance and things of that sort. So I think what I've learned is in this journey, for me, it's about educating myself so I could properly educate my audience. And I could speak firsthand about problems I've encountered and not just tell everybody, there's no silver bullet. And, and you know this, you can't just say, hey, go do this and everything's secure. You won't have any problems. That's not that you have to constantly be educating yourself, keeping up with things so you can counter the latest threats and vulnerabilities and you can shore them up. Uh, and that kind of brings me to where I am now. And, and I'm just constantly talking about it every day. I'm, I'm on a, a radio program or uh, doing a podcast and I have two podcasts of my own. That, that I do. One's a video podcast, one's an audio podcast, um, television and speaking, and it just seems to keep going and going nonstop. So education, Bills I think, on is itself. fundamental. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, let's take, take a break here. Yeah, go ahead. Here from our sponsors. We'll be right back in a minute. BlockFrame technology offers next-generation blockchain-managed trust and security. Unique non-fungible tokens are used to secure software bills of materials to provide data quality and security for every transaction in your supply chain. Deploy advanced peer-to-peer -peer product security, scale zero trust capability to millions of IoT devices, allow vendor tracking and accountability, and rapidly reset from compromise. Unchangeable, time-sequenced blockchain data provides next-generation security using machine learning trust algorithms and audit analytics. 
Start securing your supply chain today by contacting BlockFrame at www.blockframetech.com. Welcome back to New Cyber Frontier. Talking to Scott Schrober today and uh, a great intro to your three books and, you know, how you got to where you're at uh, in cybersecurity, you know, the, your journey to cybersecurity and then moving more into privacy. I'm interested in that as uh, I chair the IEEE Digital Privacy initiative which is a kind of a, a you know a global initiative bringing technologists and privacy i think it's a the latest kind of unanswered i moved that direction when when i realized i knew how to implement security but then which security do i implement for my application or for a bigger picture uh, task that i was doing uh, actually with government records and i really couldn't find a good answer so started evaluating privacy tell me about your journey to privacy and where that next book's going, because that's really, uh, I think, a hot topic moving forward. Yeah, I think I think it kind of fascinates me because after being targeted and hacked, I, I realized, learned, and many people told me this reminded me, I became paranoid. And mm-hmm. when you become paranoid, you start to dig in deeper and realize everything you do, and I, I call it the digital footprint, the more you put out there about yourself, your whereabouts, your likes, everything, it's creating that digital profile about you and kind of leaves these tracks or breadcrumbs about you. So if somebody wants to continue to target you and, and steal money from you, make your life miserable, do whatever they want to do, they can do it. And everything that you download, I, I started analyzing apps that I download and just looking at the terms and conditions that I opt into and everybody else opt in, opts into, we don't realize that we're actually saying, yes, it's okay that you can look at my contacts on my phone. It's okay. I'm giving you permission when I download TikTok for you to look at what I last put into my browser and what my interests are. Yet we're, we're saying, okay, because we're so excited to download these apps for free. And we just opt in and accept these things, not realizing that this information is used to advertisers' advantages. And we really don't have privacy when people are tracking us, following us based upon the digital inputs that we're putting into the network. And and that to me is kind of scary. And the more I so dig you, into it, the scarier I mentioned, get. You mentioned for, for advertisers advantage. Yeah. I would say that is probably almost one of the minor cases of use. Sure. Uh, I mean, the, the collection and, and, and uh, cross pollination of the data between many sources and what that gives you. Um, and your your whole life being able to be indexed and searched by data aggregation mm-hmm. companies that have a big database, uh, and, and then you know we're looking at how many times are that is that type of information hacked and it's available? How many times is it shared? Companies now sell that any information they collect mm-hmm. because you can't tell the difference between whether it was gathered by them or hacked from another company or shared by the customer because we've shared it in so many places. So there's really no kind of way they can, you could even enforce who gave it to you. So you might as well sell it if you have a company that has it, right? Yeah. yeah. So that whole profile that's being made, what does a future look like when nobody has control over that? Well, I think, I think it looks bleak, especially when you look at, and again, not to pick on any one country or government or go political, but I look at some of the things that China does they do mass surveillance on their their citizens as well as pretty much everybody on the face of the planet. They collect this data. They've got millions of cameras out there. 
things are geocoded, your likes, where you surf, everything and anything, they're collecting that. What are they going to do with it? I have no idea, but we can only imagine some of the scary things that somebody could do with it when it's a government that's collecting, retaining this. I don't think they're trying to sell it. I think they're trying to use it to become a superpower and Mm -hmm. it's kind of scary. And what can we as citizens do to prevent that? There's very little that the average citizen can do. They just kind of shrug their shoulders and say, well, what's the big deal? There's not, there's nothing about me that's that important. And I always argue the contrast. I say, no, actually everything about you is important and your privacy is important. Everything from, from where you live. Yeah. The collection of everything that's important, not exactly. one thing. And I think yeah. that's the point that's missed. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really look, looking at the culmination of big data about you, that becomes the value to somebody. And again, it doesn't matter if they're trying to surveil you, sell you something from an advertising perspective, if they're using it for research, trying to understand trends or for improving health, regardless, you need to choose personally whether you want to share that data or not. And I don't think there's mechanisms that allow us the choice. If, if you're on Facebook or Instagram to pick on them because Meta is easy to pick on, um, you're giving them away so much rich data about you. And oftentimes I've seen, and I, I do little studies, I'll, I'll pretend I'm interested in something that I have no interest in at all. And I'll just put it in a search engine. And then I'll wait in the next week or two, I'll make notes to see how many times that pushed in front of me in front of one of my devices. And it's mm-hmm. scary. Again and again, it's, it's pushed in front of me. Um, and you know, it's not something you're interested in. So I always encourage people try that. Pick something that you don't like. Maybe you don't like anything to do with water sports. You're deathly afraid of the water. You can't swim. Do a search, spend 20 minutes and do searches about kayaks. And then over the next couple of weeks, watch how many times things related to kayaks pop up on your smartphone your tablet, mm-hmm. your computer. And you kind of get that eerie feeling and say, how did they know that? I didn't tell anybody. Mm-hmm. And then you start to get the sense of how creepy it is, how much mass data collection is. And now you could think of it the next level when it's used for wrongful purposes or by a government agency, yeah. it takes it to another level. You know, a good one that, that is um, the top sold you know, search demographic and um you could do it uh, several ways. Uh, you can search for, you know, a pregnancy test or go buy a pregnancy test and use your little card at the grocery store and see how fast you're inundated with baby news, baby magazines, baby products. Mm-hmm. It's, it's something that because it is the top most profitable demographic for sale Anybody who can get early warning and early information about pregnancy, the sale of that just goes everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a funny story on that. I read it, I guess it was a couple of years ago where I guess a father got very upset because he said, why do you keep sending this pregnancy stuff to my house? And then it ended up his daughter was pregnant without him Mm -hmm. even realizing it. And uh, it's kind of kind of scary how that works, but it's true. It's uh, it's powerful, especially when there's money. I would say follow the money and you will understand a lot of these things as you dig in deeper and deeper. When you look especially at privacy issues, if you follow the money trail and how many different people are involved in it, it gives you great insight into it. Yeah. Let's take a break here from our sponsors. We'll be right back in a minute. 
BlockFrame technology offers next-generation blockchain-managed trust and security. Unique non-fungible tokens are used to secure software bills of materials to provide data quality and security for every transaction in your supply chain. Deploy advanced peer-to-peer -peer product security, scale zero trust capability to millions of IoT devices, allow vendor tracking and accountability, and rapidly reset from compromise. Unchangeable, time-sequenced blockchain data provides next-generation security using machine learning trust algorithms and audit analytics. Start securing your supply chain today by contacting BlockFrame at www.blockframetech.com. Welcome back to New Cyber Frontier. On today, talking with Scott Trober, uh, the president and CEO of BB Systems and author of three books that you see behind him. Um, we were talking about, uh, you know, the the, the cross-pollinization of information. Yeah. And I wanted to get your thoughts on something. This actually happened to me. I was literally in a foreign country. I was in Saudi Arabia, which, you know, the mm -hmm. privacy there we can talk about. And, you know, it, I, I was floored by the, the tracking of people uh, in some of those countries overseas. But I lost my phone. And I know exactly where I was in a hurry. I was transferring from one plane to another. They didn't have my luggage. Anyway, um, lost my phone, realized when I got to another city, I didn't have it. That phone now, all the two-factor authentication that goes to that phone, right? I was offline for you know, like 40 hours mm. because I did one, one login from a new location it two-factored me. I didn't have the phone it went to. I couldn't do the two-factor. And the cross-pollinization of information, every other account locked at the same time. Literally, I was I had never thought about this before, but the attachment and the connection we have with that two-factor device has really and and there's just some something in the future that we have to think about is if you ever lose that device. You are not you. And the cross-pollinization now shuts everything down. I couldn't even get money. If I didn't have a way to get back and already have a ticket and already be in the process of coming back stateside for 42 hours until I was able to sit in front of uh, my phone provider, get a new SIM card, and get reconnected to two-factor, I was out. Yeah. I'm not surprised. And I, th I think you make a brilliant point. We are so dependent upon our smart devices. It's hard to live without them. And I think it's to the point what, I, what I've started to implement is I mix it up with two-factor authentication. I do not always have it delivered a passcode to my phone. I have them uh, physically call another phone number, have it sent to an email. So I keep mixing it up. And I think what that's doing in part is disciplining me so it's not always done the same way. So if I'm being mm -hmm. surveilled and somebody's trying to do whatever, break into my bank account or hack into an account, this account or that account, it's difficult for them to do because I keep mixing it up. And I think that's important for people to realize sometimes also migrating to th some things that are old school. Like I, like I wrote a chapter in one of my books, Cash in the Mattress. And, and it's kind of a, you know, it, it's a joke in one hand, but it's not a joke. Sometimes mm -hmm. when you use cash, it mixes it up enough. I'm not a big fan of credit cards and I'm not a fan of debit cards. I like to keep cash on me 
so I can pay for things and it's not necessarily tied to me. And, and I'm, you know, we, we focus a lot on cyber criminal gangs that are targeting ATMs and point of sale terminals. And when I've learned and doing the research, how easy it is to steal someone's credit card. And I went, I worked with the national weights and measures group and became part of their task force and worked alongside law enforcement. So I was trained for a day and we went around and opened up gas pumps and understood all the mechanisms, the credit card processing, how thieves get in, how they place credit card skimmers. So when you have the knowledge of it, it scares you to death. So I don't go to a gas pump and easily hand over my credit card. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to pay for cash and it's, yes, it's inconvenient. It's old school, but it's a lot more secure than handing over that credit card with that mag stripe on the back. And I can't tell people enough, be careful who you hand that card to, especially when you can't see where it's being used. It only takes what, two seconds to swipe somebody's card. Yeah. And, and it is amazing how comfortable people have gotten with not oh, using cash though. Literally, I'll give you the, this is a story. My son, um, somebody paid him with $600 cash, right? He had hundred dollar mm -hmm. bills. And um, like five months later, he forgot he had that. Yeah. And I said, what happened to that money that came in for this? And he's like, I don't know. I never. And he went and found it literally in a pant pocket Unbelievable. because he never thinks about cash. Six months could go by and he forgot that he was he had that. And I think that it just tells magnitudes. I thought about that and I was like, wow, you know, there was there was such little value for that physical and we have a whole generation that has mm -hmm. grown up on that now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It is scary. And I think that there's a lot of also assumptions, I think. And, and I talk to people all the time about credit cards, and it kind of fascinates me. And they say, well, that's okay, Scott. I'm not going to be a victim because I have a chip and pin credit card. And I mm -hmm. said, well, yeah, all of us do. I said, but do you ever put a pin in when you put your credit card in the machine? They're like, what do you mean? What's that for? I said, wait a minute. You just told me you had chip and pin. That, that's a another level of security or to authenticate you. You have a pin that only you know up here. So you, when you put the card in, you're not entering a code in? Well, no. Then you don't have a chip and pin card. You have a chip and signature card. So you could mm -hmm. sign it Mickey Mouse and guess what? Anybody could sign Mickey Mouse. Nobody checks it. There's no variable. Or anybody can watch you put that pin in. Yeah, exactly. Or skim it. You know, the technology that you put your card in, it's getting an, an interface that's reading through. Yeah. And, and on top of that, I said, even if you do have a chip and pin card, which probably 99% of everybody has throughout America, what do you have on the back of your card? There's still a mag stripe. I'm waiting to find somebody that has a card that doesn't have a mag stripe on the back. It's like one in a million. Everybody seems to have the mag stripe there still. Mm -hmm. So when you take that card and even when you stick it in a chip and pin terminal, in a gas pump, whatever you're putting it in, guess what? That's where a skimmer resides. The bad guys, the cyber criminals, have a second magnetic read head the size of the tip of my finger that reads all your data. Put in a buffer now that they steal your, your credit card information. It's that simple. It's not anything that takes rocket science. I can go on the dark web. I can buy a skimmer. It's mass produced in China. It's about $1,600. And I have how-to videos and 1-800 numbers to call to how do I insert this skimmer into a point of sale terminal or into a gas pump or an ATM machine? It's not that difficult. So anybody can be a cyber criminal within 24 hours. That's a problem. Yeah. So, so often we, we focus on this every, you know, what's gone wrong, what's going bad. 
you know, where are we at in the cybersecurity? Do you think we've learned something? Have we gone progression, positive direction? What, what, you know, tell me what your thoughts are. Yeah, definitely. Some days I feel like one step forward, two steps backwards, honestly. But but I think we're starting to make a dent. Um, if you look at some of the statistics on cybercrime, although a lot of them are inflated and it's getting worse and worse and trillions of dollars a year being stolen, so on and so forth. Um, it's not happening as much in frequency. We're hearing about it more because it's more of a media hot button and topics for the headlines. But if you look at just ransomware statistics, the sheer number of them that are reported, it's actually gone down. Now, of course, the take, what they're getting has gone up. So, so mm -hmm. that's a little more concerning. It used to be X number of thousands of dollars, maybe four to $5,000. If you go back, you know, 2017, 2018, fast forward to today, you're hearing some of these ransomware takes are 4.2 million. So they're focusing more on so targets that, and sectors. That's, that's the nature of the average person knows a little bit more. So the yeah. low level attacker is not as effective. Mm -hmm. So they've weeded out of the market and it's only the really good people that spend yeah. some time going after the big scores that are still kind of effective. Is that, that's kind of what yeah. I'm hearing, I think. Yeah, I, I think there's some truth to that. The other thing is there's there's a pivot in the industry. The guys that know what they're doing, like you said, they've created ransomware as a service. So they can create ransomware kits and the know-how and success and let other newbies perform the cyber criminal activities and they get a cut of the take. So the rich mm -hmm. get really rich and the guys that are learning, a high percentage of them are getting caught. And they're messing up and making mistakes. And, and that's good for the big fish that are the bad guys. And the little guys just keep making mistakes and getting caught. But there's a lot of new people to the, that are entering into the, the crime realm. That's part of the problem. If you have a choice, think of a country, you're in Romania, and you say, wow, I could work my butt off and you know to, to earn a living. Maybe I can go to college. It's going to cost a lot of money. Or I could be a cyber criminal, make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year sitting in my basement. Jeez. Mm -hmm. What are you going to do? A lot of so people me, unfortunately do that. <laughs> tell me though, you said, you said something interesting to me. You said a lot more people are getting caught. Tell yeah. me, I, I haven't been following the cyber crime side. Explain to me what the numbers are. You know, how are people getting caught? I, I just hadn't heard that yet. I, you know, I heard it was a relatively un, un, unaddressed from the criminal aspect, hard to catch them. There wasn't much resources from, from the mm -hmm. law enforcement. How's that changed? Yeah, it's changed a lot. You, you go back, what was it, 2013, we think about uh, Silk Road, you know, the, the, the dark web, and they're selling all these illegal things, and, um, and they eventually caught the guy, and another Silk Road came up, so on and so forth. So there's a lot of these stores and fronts to sell illegal goods, and all of that's done with digital currency, mostly Bitcoin, and it was basically anonymous, untraceable. That's changed because more and more law enforcement now has caught up finally, and they learn hey, you know what, we can actually look at the transactions on this open ledger and we could see certain amounts move from this wallet to that wallet and we can get the address and we can actually find ways to hunt it down. And that's what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And they're successfully hunting down the bad guys. Um, I, I, I sat in, it was very interesting. I was at an espionage conference that we participate in every year. Um, and they had one of the senior members from the FBI. He came in and he was talking about how they catch cyber criminals. And he stepped through the top 10 cyber criminals that they caught. And they, he started out, well, how do you think we caught them? And everyone's thinking, wow, they figured out how to follow the Bitcoin and this and that and everything else. You know what it ended up? 
each of those cases, it was through social media. So all these big guys, these big cyber criminals, they brag. They want to say, <laughs> hey, I was able to hack into this company and that company and look at my take and this. And they use that. So law enforcement has got hundreds and hundreds of agents when they're going after a big fish now that will go on there and they're pretending they're bad guys. So they're sitting That's behind true. terminals and they're buying and selling illegal goods and pretending they're part of the ecosystem until they can actually move in and nail them. And I think that's the beauty. You got to, we got to give credit to law enforcement because they were losing the battle so bad a number of years ago, they couldn't catch anybody and people were getting away with it and they were making a mint. Now the tables are starting to turn. And if you look at it, it's, it's starting to become a very um, effective group countering all of these uh, cyber criminal gangs and empires. I think that group is a little different than those that are performing the cyber breaches and cyber attacks that we were talking mm -hmm. about, but it's good to see that some, some changes are starting to happen in the industry and that I have to applaud them because it's hard work and it's long hours and it's not easy to do, but they're having mm -hmm. some success and that's good to hear. That, that is good to hear. And that's something that like I followed the other side and the design and, and, and so I'm not as up on that. So it's good to get guests on like yourself that, that, that are coming from that perspective. Um, you know, so often, you know, we, you know, kind of the status of the industry is an interesting thing in general. We both have a, probably a different sampling of that. We hear so often about there's not enough people in the, in the industry. There's lack of all these open jobs and everything. Um, you know, I, I've seen some trends recently, but I'd like to know your thoughts on that. Where I, I think we're kind of, there might, you know, might, might be some changes there. What do you think? Yeah. And, and again, I have mixed feelings. I look at it from a perspective and I, and I just hired somebody last week, in fact, so I could speak firsthand on this. Uh, I had to probably call through 100 resumes. So I found I was looking for somebody that could handle hardware and software development. So it's an engineer, it's somebody degree that's got a skill set. And I really struggled. I really struggled to find somebody that had what I call real world experience. And then also mm -hmm. some experience on the, you know, uh, the degree, the schooling side of things. To me, I tend to weigh more on real world experience for our industry, looking at mm -hmm. design for hardware, software, wireless threat, cybersecurity. Um, I think the world in general still relies so much on that degree. And again, I'm not knocking a degree. It's important to, to, to be well-rounded and have a good degree and a good skill set. But having practical experience, there's not a lot of people that have that maybe in more recent generations. Things have changed. People are used to pressing a button and the software does everything for them, does the heavy lifting. They don't want to understand what's under the hood inside of a computer, just like it's hard to find a good car mechanic, right? There's not a lot of people that can understand what's under the engine. I mm -hmm. find the same thing in cybersecurity. So I'm always torn for that. Are there, are there a lot of jobs that need to be fulfilled? Absolutely. I always talk about it. At the same time, there's a mismatch of people that I see could be placed into those jobs. So it, mm -hmm. it, it's a little bit of a, a confusing situation. And I always recommend people, hey, try this company, try this, try that, and help place people. Because I think that's important. Yeah. And so a lot, a lot of times people I think, don't want to do word, that. Word of mouth, like you said, is, yeah, is yeah. the biggest way people get hired. Because Absolutely. literally, if I hire somebody, I want to know, because I've hired some duds, but I want to know that yeah. they have talent. Um, and the only kind of way to do that is I'll ask somebody, hey, do you know somebody that's talented is looking? This is what yeah. I'm looking for. And the recommendation is is more important than just throwing a bunch of resumes at me. Because people oh, can say whatever that. they want. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and there's a lot of, unfortunately, from what I've seen, the last hundred resumes I went through, and I questioned a few people. Said, Do you really have experience in this? They've done like they've worked on every single software package in the world, and I'm thinking this is impossible. I don't even know what half of these are, and I'm in the industry. Yeah. So you start quizzing like, well, someone helped me write the resume and there's software to do this. And I said, ah, oh. so there's, there's a lot of fluff out there. So it, to me, it's still important. So. As you mentioned, get references. If somebody refers you and says, hey, here's somebody that's good. Talk to that individual as opposed to just getting something from even, even headhunters. They're throwing you resumes because why? They, they want the payoff. And yeah, it may take uh, six months or a year to learn that you have a turkey in certain industries, but you're paying for that hire mm -hmm. good talent, take your time and don't rush. That's the other thing yeah. I've always told people to don't, don't rush. Cause everybody thinks there's that, that time is of the essence. If I don't fill this job, you, you can get by a little bit longer until you find the right individual to join your team. You build a good team, you build a good product or service, then your business will last and it'll be a lot easier to maintain. Yeah. Yeah. Lately though. And I'd say, I want your thoughts on this and in here just in 2023, um, with you know the economic uncertainty that was happening through the end of last year, I know a lot of cybersecurity people, high level, that are out of work right now. The industry seems to be starting a cycle that doesn't look promising, I would say. And, and it happens quite often when we go into an economic downturn mm -hmm. because those fluff projects get pulled out. Those future yeah. development works get get cut for a while and so often it's easy or those represent the what are we exploring with security mm. and how are we moving forward forward looking gets shut down a little bit um I, I i've seen this several times and then we come back two or three years later say there's no talent in the industry what's the matter mm. but i see this trend and I'm, I'm a little concerned what's your thoughts I, I think I definitely agree with you at one hand, and then part of me disagrees. There, there still is a shortage. There's not enough bodies to fill all the jobs out there. However, I think also what we're, we're seeing is coming out of the pandemic, and, and you could certainly speak to the tech companies. They had a lot of money. They hired a lot of extra bodies, and everybody's working remote, spend, 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 hire, hire, hire over the past three years. And now they look and they say, geez. The economy's starting to slow up here. We're seeing a little downturn. Let's get rid of the 5% of the staff or 10% that was kind of dead weight. Now, the good news for that, and, and there's some truth to it, so it, it's going to mean now that there's not as many positions that need to be filled. What happens is those that are really talented that get let go, you know, they leave Apple, they leave Google, Facebook, whatever, the big tech companies, and maybe they even have a focus in cybersecurity and they're let go. Now they're out there looking for a job. Smaller companies like our company, we're smaller, we're under 30 people. We can now hire somebody that has got true world experience that was in a big tech company, and that helps. And when you bring somebody like that into a small company, small business, that's really an incubator for innovation and growth. Um, and that's kind of exciting. So it gives small companies a chance to really rise up and stand out. The bigger guys, yeah, they'll have a down quarter or two. And then like you said, it'll come back and it'll be another cycle. So things change there, but it's interesting how that works. So yeah, to, to your point, I think the numbers are a bit inflated, but I, there still is a shortage. There are still positions. And I talk to, to business owners all the time and um, 
they can't find people for the job because they're working somewhere else. But as people are laid off more and more or leave the mm -hmm. job or shift, it's going to have some balancing effect. I think it's just with time. And, and, and there's also a lot of people that are, that are going for cybersecurity skills. They're, they're mm -hmm. skilling up. They're going back to school. Um, I've probably had at least 10 different individuals that I talked to. One, 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 one gentleman was a construction worker that was senior to me and he was frustrated because I'm, I'm getting older. It's hard swinging a hammer. What should I do? I said, well, I'm in cyber. I gave him a copy of my book. He called me up a, a week later because I read your book. He goes, how do I get into cyber? What do I do next? I said, mm -hmm. well, instead of going to college and getting degrees and stuff, I said, pick one area that you love, get a certification in it, but go to a company and tell them you're migrating. You love computers. You're, you know, you want to get certified in this and you're working now. Would they pay for your certification if you join them and stay with them for a period of time. And he did it and he got the job and he got excited and he called me back and he says, you know, I, I never thought, I thought that was the dumbest thing you said, but it actually made sense once yeah. they, they offered it. So people or companies are willing to pay for a focus certificate if it's specialized for a need that they have and they can't find somebody. And yeah. a lot of it's I timing and skill set. I think that that spells something is that probably the job market at the low end is still pretty good. Yes. It's it's kind of like you said the the psych cyclic rotation that uh, some of the high end are are freeing up, oh, which yeah. like you said could be a positive for for small companies and whatnot. But we kind of reached the end of our time here. Uh, it's been great talking to you, Scott. We yeah. need to do these more often because we could both probably talk for another four hours on absolutely many different things. But uh, anything you want to put out, how people can get a hold of you, what types of people you're looking for to to work with or customers, go ahead and give a shout out. Yeah, yeah. Well, certainly if, if people reach out, they can check our website out. That's always the best way. It's uh, bvsystems.com. See some of the cool stuff that we're doing. Uh, we're actually having some fun now. We're trying something different. We're doing a Kickstarter campaign which is kind of strange, but fun. And we, we developed a little device there to help for uh, anti-stalking and anti-tracking of people with air tags and other things, really getting into that and learning about that community of crowdfunding and Kickstarter world. So it's, it's really been exciting. Uh, but if people are into that type of technology stuff, reach out, love to talk to you, whether it's answer questions, learn what you're doing, or maybe it's something where you could even join our staff. Uh, and then I have my website, scottshober.com and information on books and free downloads, e-papers, all of that other stuff. And I'm pretty active on social media and everywhere else. So yeah, I lo love people when they throw a question out and I'm here to help as a resource, hopefully and can answer that. All right. Thanks a lot for joining today, Scott. Have a good day. Thank you. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of New Cyber Frontier. Remember to get involved. Often we think that someone else will handle privacy and security in the virtual world, but you are the only one truly in command of your virtual fate. Join our mailing list so we can keep you informed of breaking news and new releases. If you have an idea, if you have a question that you would like to hear answered, or if you want to get involved with our efforts, reach out to us at NewCyberFrontier.com. We also encourage you to visit our sponsors' links as they are the ones that really make this show possible. I want to thank each of you for supporting the show, and we look forward to seeing you back for the next episode of New Cyber Frontier.